to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. First Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that, was, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor murmur, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all of these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition or our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Father, here we have before us a a fairly well-known verse, maybe not so well-known passage. I pray, Lord, that we would learn, be instructed by you, in this day. Lord, we didn't come here to see someone behind a pulpit. We came here to be touched by you. I have failed if I've gotten in your way. Lord, I pray that you are high and lifted up and that you, you love, you exhort, you challenge, you change, you minister, you move in the hearts of every single one of us. In this room, those who are listening, Lord, we lift up this time to you. Bless it for your purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We see the very first word there in chapter 10, and the word is moreover. Today's scripture begins with moreover, and the construction of this word, it makes it a conjunction, which means that it's a word that ties two things together. In other words... This word, moreover, it instructs us to look at what came before it in order for us to understand what will come after it. It's a continuation of sorts of what had preceded it. Paul has been speaking to us recently in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 about the liberty that a Christian has in in Christ. However, that we are not to use that liberty that we have in Christ if it's going to cause ourselves or others to stumble. Just because we can do something doesn't always mean that we should or that it's expedient. And we will speak on this more next week as we make our way through chapter 10 as Paul will uh, state there in verse 23 that all things are lawful for me but all things are not helpful all things are not lawful or all things are lawful for me but all things do not edify so let no one seek his own but each one the other's well-being and so next week we're going to get into that a little bit more in any case though we should never do anything if it causes spiritual harm to ourselves or to another person uh, we read and we, we read and we spoke last week on 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 24 through 27. And in that, uh, we saw what was appropriately a timed, very timely illustration and one that was very near to Paul's heart. You remember, I 
spoke last week talking about how I believe Paul was truly a sportsman. He loved to watch sports. I think that he loved to illustrate um, God's principles by using athletics as he did there last week. Don't you know that all who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And, and he goes on, he says in verse 25, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, Paul says, this is how I run. Not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, like shadow boxing, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And so last week we, we saw this in something that was close to Paul's heart, something that is appropriately timed because it, it alludes to what was going on there in Corinth in a little town called Ismoth, or Isthmos, is, is, it's hard to say, Ismoth, I-S-T-H-M-O-S, Ismoth, it's like you got a lisp, um, Ismoth, um, and, uh, but they were Isthmian games, Isthmian Isthmian, Isthmian games. Um, they were very much like the Olympics. In fact, the Olympics were even going on at this time, and these were the Isthmian games. And uh, they were kind of like the, the 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 younger brother of the of the of the uh, uh, Olympics. And you remember we talked about how they had many different types of competitions uh, in the Isthmian games. Paul, he, as we just got done reading there in chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, Paul spoke on how we can observe an Olympic or an Isthmian athlete. I'm going to just use Olympic from now on because Isthmian is a hard word to say for me. Uh, How we can observe an Olympic athlete in how hard he or she trains, but that in the end, if they are the victor, they're... They only win a laurel wreath. Or, if you do any research, you're going to find out that the crown that some of them got, no joking, this is true. A a, a crown of dried celery. Think about it. I I wonder who that person was that was in charge of the awards. (laughs) How did he pull it off before the Olympic committee? He presented, you know, here, I've got the new award. Dried celery. A, a crown upon his head. Now I want you to know, I looked this morning in my refrigerator and I had a bunch of wilted celery in there. And for illustration purposes, after service today, we're going to have a race in the parking lot. And whoever wins is going to get that bunch of wilted celery. Yeah, we, we look at it and we think, wow, wilted celery, dried celery. Paul's going, they're doing it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Last week I had asked the, the, the question, just kind of haphazardly uh, to you, about gold medals. You know, wow, I wonder, you know, we might look at it and go, well, yeah, but today's Olympic athletes, they're doing it for a gold medal. And then I asked the question to you, because I didn't know, you know, are Olympic golds actually gold? And I got a phone call the next day from Tori, and, and Tori says, no, they're not. <laughs> and, and I know that many of us would like to believe that they were gold. We, we, it, there's this romantic idea, not in a, a weird way, but a, a, just this, this wonderful idea that when you place a, a gold medal upon someone's neck, that it actually is gold, you know? And just doing a little research that prompted by Tory, the last pure gold medals that were actually awarded were the Stockholm Games back in 1912. So if they're not pure gold, then what are they? According to Olympic standards, the host country actually designs and fabricates the gold medals and the silver medals and the bronze medals, but they have to abide by the following basic principles and standards. Gold and silver medals are to be made out of at least 92.5% sterling silver. So that gold medal that our little 10 meter air rifle uh, gold medalist won yesterday was 92.5% sterling silver. 
7.5% copper is also in there. And then it's going to be plated in 24 karat gold or pure silver, a very fine silver. Not sterling silver, but fine silver. The gold metal must be plated, plated according to the Olympics uh, standards with at least six grams of gold. So there's six grams of gold. And you go, well, that's not bad. I mean, a gram is not that bad, is it? Well, bronze, mo- bronze metals are made up mostly of tin and plated, br- and they're also plated with bronze. So what's a gold metal worth? Six grams of, I just researched this uh, even, even this morning. I thought, oh, this, I, this was interesting to me. Six grams of 24 karat gold at today's gold rate, this morning's gold rate, $42.96 per gram. That gold metal has gold on it that equates to $257.76. The 394 grams of silver, sterling silver, it's today's sterling, sterling silver rate at 92.5 cents per gram, comes out to $237.51. 7.5 grams of copper, today's copper rate of $2.17 per gram, $16.28. So the true monetary value of a gold medal today is $511.55. That's the monetary value. Now, I know that there is much more significance once you have the stamp on it that says that you, I mean, that's where the value comes in. And that's something that's going to last a whole lot longer than a, a celery hat, you know? And, and, and so there is something to be said for that. There is definitely something to be said. I would never want to put down or say, you know, Olympic athlete is doing this for nothing. No, but the point that Paul is making is that look at how hard he works, she works, they work in order to obtain a $511.55 medal. That's how hard they work for that. They work very hard for that. And he says, if an athlete is going to put his body, her body, their body into a such rigorous torture, if you will, in order to become the best, and the vast, vast, vast majority of them are not the best. I mean, you watch it and I watch it. A relay race or, or a, 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 a sprint, you know, starts with eight, eight runners. And those eight runners have been whittled down from probably 150 runners or 100 runners or 80 runners or whatever, how many ever runners are running in that race. And they keep whittling them down through heats and what have you to get the eight fastest. And then they run that last, you know, 100 meter dash and Usain Bolt usually wins, right? He's a fast guy, man. He is. It's fun to watch him run. He's the only one that's going to get the gold medal. All of those others that competed, they didn't get a gold medal. They did all of that work, many of them for nothing, other than the experience, which is, there's something to be said for that. I don't want to dismiss that either. Just to be able to say I was an Olympian is an honor. It's an honor. But Paul says, that's, a, that's, that's, that's for an Olympian. That's for an athlete. That's what they'll go through and that's what they'll put their body through in order to just compete and to be that. What do you think about us? What do you think about us as believers, as Christians? Ought we not discipline our bodies? Ought we not discipline our minds? Ought we not discipline our, our uh, lives in such a way that we would please and honor the one who has secured for us salvation. He pointed out that they trained so hard and all they received was a perishable crown, Paul said. But the crown that they will have will soon dry out and crumble. But, the, but he connects the dots in that illustration by saying that 
if an Olympic athlete is going to train so hard to obtain a crown that perishes, how much more we as Christians should live our lives with discipline as we are living for a crown which will never perish. And you remember that we spoke on the name of that crown that Paul is speaking of. The word crown there in chapter, 24, or chapter 9, verse 27, uh, 26, 27, 25, actually is what it is, 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 this crown, the crown in Greek is the Stephanos crown and it elicits back into our remembrance that that's a pretty cool crown to get, isn't it? The crown of Stephen. And you remember we talked about Stephen last week, who he was. He was martyred for his faith. He, was, he, he accepted the blows of rocks and stones and boulders upon him simply for the fact that he had bowed his knee to Jesus Christ. And it says in the word that Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father. The only time we see Jesus standing in heaven is when he was accepting Stephen into heaven. I think that's an awesome picture. That's a whole message in and of itself. Don't have time for it today. But here's the thing. From that, that point right there, it's the Stephanos crown. He finished well. He finished well. My nephew, uh, just uh, at my mom's memorial service, my nephew, many of you have met him. He's actually come up here and played with us. Um, guitar. Um, when he was here, he's, in, he's a captain now. I don't know if you all know that. He's, he's uh, upgraded. He's, he's been promoted um, from second lieutenant to first, or from first, first to second, or second to first, and now he's a captain in the Marines. And he's flying these huge, huge, huge helicopters, these CH-53s, man. They're the biggest uh, helicopters our military has, you know, and he's the pilot. He's, he's actually flying these things. I mean, he, they're as big as like a C-130. I mean, these things are huge, huge helicopters. That's what he's flying. Well, he wrote a song. He used to have a band called Green Stick Fracture, which we always ask, where did he get that name? I don't know. It just sounded really, really cool. Is it, well, it's a Christian band. It was a Christian band. Green Stick Fracture. Green Stick Fracture is like a break, you know, in your arm. It's a green stick, you know. It's, a, it's like the twisting of a, of a bone, you know, where the bone is broken. What does it mean? Uh, we never really went down that road. We don't know. It just it sounded really cool. So his name of his band was Green Stick Fracture. They actually cut a CD one time, and you know it was great for kids and what have you. Have it if you ever want to hear it. But he wrote a song for my mom, for his grandma, for his nana when she passed away back in 2006, and he he sang it. I don't know how he did it. Um, I I was able and honored to be able to stand and and um, share the message, and officiate the the memorial service for my mom and. Um, that was very special and one of the most uh, valuable times in my life to be able to stand there over what well, once was my mom and, and share her last words that she wanted to share with people. It was a great honor. But to actually sing a song and to try to hold a note, Matt did it. He did it. Well, just a few weeks ago, um, he and all of his sisters were back together in Michigan, and they, they actually uh, went back into a recording studio where, here he is, a captain in the Marines, you know, and he grabbed his three sisters and said, hey, while we're all together, which is very, very rare, let's all go in and, and let's record Nana's song. And so they went in and they recorded it. Um, I'll play it for you guys someday. I don't have it, you know, ready to tool up right now, but the song was... it. it 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 was it was a heartbeat of what we're talking about here right now. Um, talking about how how uh, when we are um, living our life. Let me here. Let me just here it is right here. Let me just get the words. And I will say, okay, I wasn't ready to do this. Sorry, I didn't mean to do this. And I will say that I'll do the best that I can now without you there to guide me. 
And then you can look down on me and say that I've done well. Because of you, I've done well. To, to do well, to do well, to end your race well. He's living that life. I'm so stinking proud of that kid. One of the roughest branches of the military. And the man has kept his faith and his faith has even gotten stronger since he's been in the military. He loves Jesus, man. He passionately serves him. But, but to sit there and to think, the end of your life, he's, he wrote a song saying, Nana, I want you always to be able to look down upon me and say you're doing well. You're doing well. Because you poured into me. You poured into me to do well. And I, I want to make you proud. Here's the thing. I've owned this song myself. There's a lot of times that I've, I've, I've wanted to sin. I've wanted to blow it. But you know what? I know I don't want to break, not, the, not just the Lord's heart. I don't want to break the Lord's heart, but I don't want to break my mom's heart either. I want to live for Jesus, man. And I want to hear him say in that day, well done, well done. Paul's saying, listen, an athlete is going and he's training his body to do this, okay? But, but he's doing it for a perishable crown. We are doing it for an imperishable crown, that Stephanos crown that we'll take and we'll throw down and cast down at, his, at the throne, at the foot of his altar, at the foot of his throne and say, Lord, these, these crowns don't belong to us. They belong to you. They're yours. We couldn't do what we did if it were not for you. Lord, these are your crowns. This Stephanos crown, this crown of martyrdom, this crown of sacrifice, this crown of, of willingly laying down my life for you, you're the reason why I did it because you showed me how to do it. And as he welcomes you in, as he welcomes me in, he says, well done. Well done. Good job. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Gang, we are in a time right now where I'm just seeing Christians fall by the wayside all over the place. I encourage you. This world is passing away. It's not about the things in this world. Paul says, discipline your body. Do what you need to do to continue to walk with Jesus because at the end of the road, you're going to get a crown, man. You're, you're going to hear those words out of Jesus' mouth saying, well done, well done. He says in chapter 10, he says, moreover, we discipline our bodies We've got the liberty. We choose not to stumble people in our liberties. In fact, we'll discipline our bodies to whatever we have to do in order to live our life well. That's what I'm going to do. Moreover, let me just tell you, the word moreover there, um, it's, it's telling us that, that there is more to, this is, this is a continuation of what he has just talked about. He says, moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all of our fathers... We're under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they ate the same spiritual food. And they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Verse 6. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Here's the thing. Here's what Paul's saying. We have something to look back on. Okay? We can go back and look at our, at our fathers, our forefathers. We can go back and look at our ancestors and see that they had, they had seen incredible feats of God. They had seen so many awesome moves of the Lord. Think about it. He's, he's recalling. I don't want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud. What cloud is he talking about? You remember it was 40 years in the wilderness that the children of Israel walked, right? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? 
because they didn't trust God to be able to get them into the promised land in the eight days it would have taken them to walk there. So for 40 years, because of their disobedience, for 40 years, because they were not willing to trust God, for 40 years, their souls were in torment in a wilderness. They were walking around in a desert for 40 years because they didn't trust God. And I am firmly convinced that there's a lot of Christians that are walking around in a, in a self-imposed wilderness today because you don't trust, we don't trust God with our lives. We don't trust God with the way that He's directing our lives or what it is that He's called us to do, what He's called us to be. What He's called us to do to stand up and say, you know what, I know all my friends are wanting to go this way, but I have, I have the Holy Spirit telling my heart, don't go that way. Now, I've got a decision to make. I'm either going to listen to God or I'm going to listen to man. I'm going to be running for an imperishable crown or I'm going to be running for the crown of my friends. And Paul says, we have some people that... We, we have people that we can tie our genealogy back to that actually saw God's hand so work. And they still were so drawn away by the flesh. Don't let the flesh rule you. Don't let the flesh rule you. Trust the Lord. If you're in a wilderness right now, trust the Lord to get you out of the wilderness. Trust the Lord. Follow His counsel. Follow His direction. Follow His word. Let Him do the work. And you guys, this is, this is life right here. This word of God that you have in your hand is life. It's instruction. It's instruction for me. It's instruction for you. It's not simply a book where pastors have to read in order to disseminate the, the, the instruction so that you get it. This is a word that we all should be in. We all need to be in this word to find out what the Lord has called us to be, what he's called us to do, to listen to his still small voice in the midst of a raging crowd that's saying to do otherwise. For in the end, when we listen to the still small voice, we will be more blessed than if we would have followed the crowd. The crowd is not who died for us. It was the one, Jesus Christ, who hung on a cross. His voice is the one I want to follow. His is the voice. He is the one that I want to follow. Because in the end, that's, where it's all, that's what it's all about. I take you back to uh, 2001. Um, you remember the, the whole Persian Gulf War and all that kind of stuff that went on. It's a pretty scary time in our, in our country, wasn't it? I don't know where you were when the towers came down. I don't know where you were in the, the days that followed and where your heart was, where your mind was, where your soul was at that time, but I will say that there's probably a little fear that gripped your heart. When you saw our Pentagon get hit, and when you heard that another airplane was maybe aiming towards our White House, and that it was filled with civilians and that F-16s or F-15s were, were scrambled that if the airplane began to go towards the White House they would shoot it down. You're thinking, what happened? Just yesterday on the 10th everything was fine. I woke up this morning on the 11th and everything seemed normal. People were still saying get God out of schools. People were still saying ha, ah, Christians. Bible thumpers. Then all of a sudden, all it took were just a few airplanes hitting things in our own country where it struck at our very heart. And the same delegates, the same congressmen, the same politicians that were so arguing to get God out of our, out of our military, get God out of our schools, to get God out of our political system, they were on the courts or they were on the steps of the, the, the House of Congress singing, God bless America, and praying that God would help them. You're going, ah, what does it matter? And then when things got quiet again, churches were filled. I was out in California at the time, man. I was going to Harvest Christian Fellowship. And that place was already had a lot of people there. But there were standing room only at that place. I think the place, I think the church right now has probably 18,000, 20,000 people in the church. 
And at the time, the sanctuary that they had then, I think probably had about seven or 8,000 people. And, and you couldn't find a place not just to sit. There were people down the aisles. There were people sitting on the floor. They were along the walls standing up because what's going on? What's going on? I'm afraid. Where's, what's God saying to us? That's what happens in a time of crisis. I don't want to be a crisis Christian. I don't want to be a foxhole Christian. I want to be one that is strong through the simple times of life. Don't you? Don't you? Don't you want to look back? When you look at a guy like Paul, aren't you thankful that he didn't just follow the crowd? I'm thankful for guys like that. I'm thankful that God put stories in the Word of God talking about how Elijah was so afraid that he was going to be killed by Ahab and his wicked woman Jezebel that he took off. He didn't trust the Lord. He ran away. And he ran all the way down south and he found a cave and he didn't stop until he found a cave. And he went into that cave and he's sitting there going, and he traveled for weeks to get there. And the Lord goes, hey, Eli, what you doing here? Lord, they've killed all your prophets. They've killed everybody that's serving you. And they're looking out after me. I just thought I'd hide myself in a cave down here to, 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 to maintain, you know, some sense of spiritual balance, you know, to have one spiritual voice left. And the Lord goes, I still have 7,000 and I'm not bowed their knee. I think it was 7,000. You know what it was? 7,000? 7,000. That haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah, did I call you to come down here? No. Get out of here. Get back up there. You serve me. And he did. Served him well. Served him tough. It was tough to do what he had to do. It was hard for Elijah to have to do that. But I'm glad that God put that story in the Bible because you know what? Sometimes doesn't it feel, Lord, it seems like nobody is walking with you. Why should I? And the Lord goes, stop it. I have so many. I have thousands, hundreds of thousands, not, not just 7,000 like Elijah Don. Get out of the cave and get back out there because I have a job for you. I have work. I have people that I want to minister to through you. Yeah, that might be a small group, but you know what? They're the ones that I want to use you to minister. Are you willing to, to minister to the people that I'm asking you to minister to? Are you dissatisfied? Are you not wanting to? No, Lord, I am totally down with whatever you want to do in my life. Even when I throw a fit every once in a while, Lord, I'm sorry. Have you ever been there? I think it, I'm probably the only one in here ever kind of has those kinds of conversations with the Lord. You guys are not. You guys don't do that. I just, that's me. Here's the thing. I'm glad for stories like that. But you know what? I don't want to settle. I don't want to settle for less than what the Lord has for me. And it might not be my plan. It might not be your plan. But as long as I'm in His Word, and as long as I'm asking Him on a day-by-day basis, Lord, what will you have me to do today? As long as when we were in worship here today, we were saying, Lord, it's not about us, it's about you. We want to tell you how much you mean to us. To have those personal times of worship. To have those just precious times. To when the crowd goes to the right, you go to the left. I remember a good brother of mine who sends me texts every Sunday morning. Got one from him today. Uh, He's a pastor of a church in Idaho, about 5,000 people in Idaho. He sends me a text. He's one of my best friends in life. And he sends me a text every week. Just to encourage me and I send him text too. We just send texts back and forth. I got about four or five, six guys like that that I text every week. He had a guy at his church many, many years ago before he was in Post Falls, Idaho. He was in Sierra Vista, Nevada. And he had an older fellow that was in there. And he was one of those guys that had served the Lord his whole life. But he was nearing the end. I mean like, I mean, there's like hours, you know, when you see an old person and, and you know, yeah, you, you might not make it through the day, you know, kind of one of those things. But he was a pastor and Bob brought him in and he got in. He says, man, he had to help him get up on the pulpit. 
And he's sitting there, and he gave a great message. Gave a great message, and in the middle of the message, he collapsed. And Bob's going, no, not in my church. Lord, don't let him die in my church. Don't let this be the last thing of his life, you know. And Bob was in the ambulance with him. He lived, by the way. But he was in the ambulance with him as he was going to the hospital. And he, he told Bob, he says, Bob, come here. Hey, Bob got down there. He goes, listen, when the world goes to the right, yeah, yeah, you go to the left. When the world goes to the right, I'm going to go to the left. Okay, all right, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. He goes, Bob, Bob Moore. He says, when the church as a whole goes to the left, you go to the right. He goes, that's a little harder for me to understand. And he said, there is so much hypocrisy in the church today. There is so much weakness and there's so much um, uh, compromise in the church today that that when the church as a whole is running one way, you don't need to follow that. You follow Christ. You do what the Lord's called you to do. You follow the Lord. Don't follow man. Don't ever follow man. And, and you know what? That has made an impact on my life. I don't want to just follow because everybody else is following. I want to follow Jesus. He's the only one worthy to follow. Not a man upon the face of this earth. I've looked up to men that have run huge ministries and men looked up to men that have run very small ministries. And man is fallible and they will break your heart and they can damage your faith if you let them. But if you keep your eyes on man, if you put your eyes on man, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to, you're going to wonder, is this really what it's all cracked up to be? I mean, look at what he had, look at what he has, look at what he did. How could he possibly stand there and say what he said and do what he did? And he was a mentor. How? And then the Lord goes, because why, why were your eyes on him ever? Why are your eyes on man? Please don't ever put your eyes on and I, this is going to be totally contradictory in, in two weeks. Because I'm going to sit here and I'm going to say, don't get your eyes on me. You keep your eyes on Christ. How is that going to be contradictory? Well, because you got your Bible open. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. That's not next week's, but that's the following week's study. What does it say? Someone read it out loud. <laughs> imitate me as I imitate Christ, you know? And, and so here's Paul going, hey, you want to know how to follow Christ? You do what I do. <laughs> okay, well, that just kind of blows my whole message right there, right? No, it doesn't, because it's the second half of what his statement was, right? He goes, you want to know how to follow Christ? You do what I do. Follow me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Don't follow me for Paul's sake. Follow me for Christ's sake. Always look to Christ. He goes, these guys that we have in the past, we've got these guys, they've seen miracle works from the Lord. I've got to hurry up. I'm not even going to get all the way through this. In fact, I've gotten things I want to talk about in verse 13 that are really, really cool and, and some neat things that are some, going to be some great growth things for us. But here, here's the thing. Let me suffice this to say. He says, our fathers, they were under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. Forty years in the wilderness, and yet they were 40 years in because of their disobedience, they floundered around in a desert for 40 years. But even then, God took pity on them and God loved them and God favored them. Because how many of you have ever been into a desert without any clouds in the sky? It's hot. And yet God, he says, I put a cloud over you by day to where it wasn't beating down on you. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You remember at nighttime there was a pillar of a pillar of fire that led them. If they were walking pillar of fire, boom, it lit the way. Can you imagine? Can you imagine seeing that every single day you have an overcast clouds but but it's beautiful clear everywhere else but it's nice and cool for you. For 40 years God did that every single day. At nighttime there was always this presence of whoosh, this pillar of fire that goes up from the temple. Whoosh, Going up into the sky, lighting up your people. 
Every single day. You don't see it in other nations. You see this. What do you think that does to every nation that is surrounding, you know, the desert that the Israel is going through? Going, okay, there's a cloud over them by day, keeping them comfortable. There's a pillar of fire over them by night. And everywhere they go, that, that pillar of, of fire and that cloud goes. It's going to freak you out if you're one of those assist, you know, one of those surrounding nations. They've got something ridiculous that they're following. He says, hey, they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You remember what the situation is there when they were leaving out of Egypt? What happened? They were between a rock and a hard spot, weren't they? They had Pharaoh's army coming up behind and then they they narrowed themselves down to a, a piece of land that they couldn't go to the right hand or to the left because it was basically down in kind of a peninsula. And it was, it was basically uh, the end of the road. And here comes Pharaoh's army coming in. They have water on this side, Pharaoh's army on this side. And Moses, he goes, hey, here's the thing. Don't be frightened. Stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. What a great statement as a leader, right? But if you read on, just a couple verses later, it says that Moses goes in behind the rock, probably strutting, Stand back! See the salvation of the Lord! Gets behind the rock and he goes, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I don't know what to do. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Moses, get back out there and stand up. You get back out there. I'm going to take you through the sea. What? Really? That's wild. Yeah, just go out and hold your staff up. It goes out. Water opens up. Baptize. The word baptize in the Hebrew is baptizo. Or I'm, I'm sorry, in the Greek is baptizo. Meaning to be immersed. To be uh, uh, submerged. It's a form of identification. It's the reason why we baptize completely in the water. But as you walk through this sea, Moses, you have a wall of water on your right, a wall of water on your left, you're going to walk through on dry land. Now the naysayers and the skeptics out there are going, no, we found a, an area where if the wind was just right, it, the, the ground, the water would narrow down to say two or three feet and they'd be walking through, you know, upon this land to get over into the, you know, Saudi Arabia area. And so that's how they got in there. It's not a miracle, it's a totally explainable thing. I think, Wow. I guess that isn't a miracle. I guess what is a miracle is that the biggest and strongest army in the whole of the world ended up drowning in the same place. They couldn't do what these silly peasants were doing there in, in you know, uh, the Israelites. That's the miracle. Is that Pharaoh's mighty army drowned in three feet of water. No. A skeptic will always come up with an excuse. Now, the Bible says that there was a wall of water on the right, there's a wall of water on the left, and they walked through on dry ground. That means dry. And they walked through on that dry ground. They were baptized into that water. They identified when they walked through that water and they got on the other side. There was a picture and there was a story that we have told from that day forward. These people were God's people. They were baptized into the sea. They all ate of the same spiritual food. You remember the story of the, the ground. We, we're out here in the desert. We've got millions of people out here. How are we going to eat every day, Mo? Come on, Mo, Mo. Murmuring, complaining. And Moses goes in and he says, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. What am I going to do? He says, I'll tell the people to go out. And every day there's going to be some manna on the ground. There's going to be some food on the ground. Tell them to pick it up and eat it. Just get enough just for them that day. And on the sixth day, tell them to get enough for the seventh day. But don't get any more. Just get enough for one day, you know, every day. But on the sixth day, get enough for two days. But don't try to hoard too much because it, I, I'm telling you, you're going to have to trust me on a day-by-day basis. On the sixth day, I will put twice as much food on the ground every single day. This white stuff that was on the ground. They didn't even know what to call it. They called it manna. You know what the Hebrew word for manna is? What is it? So they ate what is it every day. Probably got sick of banana bread. 
I don't know. But manna every day. Some people said, hey, I'm going to store up a bunch. We're not going to do what God said. We're going to put a whole bunch. We're going to put a week's worth of manna in our, in our buckets. And they go in and the next morning they wake up and it stunk and there was worms in it. Okay, that didn't work. Every single day, they had to trust that the Lord was going to put the food on the ground. For 40 years, guys, 40 years, they walked through a wall of water, through a sea. There's a, right there, there's a barracuda. There is a whale and some porpoises. And they're right there. And these porpoises and things are sitting there going, well, now that's just something you don't see every day. There's people walking right there. Hey, you know, I wonder if all the fish were like just sitting there going, we've never seen anything like this before. Here's the thing. The Israelites, they experienced all this stuff. They experienced the food on the ground every single day. They experienced the, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. They all drank the same spiritual drink. And, and it says, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, legend has it that that rock actually followed the Israelites. Nathan, do me a favor. Take that picture off the wall right there. I was in Israel a while back, back in 2000, or I don't know, 90, I'm sorry, 92. And here's a picture that I got over there in Israel. And I thought, when I had this picture of a rock, I don't know about you, what did you picture when you said, when, when you heard that Moses struck a rock? I always had this picture of a rock about, yeah, yeah, yeah big. Well, how is a rock this big going to, you know, satisfy a couple million people? That right there, that rock right there would satisfy a whole bunch of people, right? I don't know how big the rock was, but here's what Paul says. That rock followed them through the wilderness. I don't think they drug it. And I don't know if it left a gouge in the ground as it followed. I don't know. I don't know how that followed them. But they had water. They saw miracle. The point is that they saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And then he says, but most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And you go, yeah, well, what's that all about? Why would, why would God do that? Why would God allow that? And Paul says, I'll tell you why. He says in verse 6, These things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. I'll finish here today, but here's the thing. He's saying, you can put the thing back up. You can look at it afterwards, but I've looked at that picture and studied the picture. I think there's like faces in the rock. I, I don't know. It's wild to look at that thing and kind of study it and go, I don't know what the artist was thinking, but if you really look at it, you're going to see that all the camels, it's just a weird picture. It's a weird picture. Because at first sight, you look at it, and you, go, you can just leave it down, Nate. Here, you can put it up. You can put it up here or something like that. People can look at it. Here's the thing. When you look at it, you're going to go, oh, oh yeah, there's, they got camels. But if you look really closely, they're wooden camels. And they've got, they got wheels on them. <laughs> I don't understand it. <laughs> they've got pulling wheels. And, and all of the people, they're like wooden people. Their hands are like flat and so it's pretty weird now the girls are sitting there trying to see it right now because they're going to see it first here's the thing Paul says for our examples to show us this how many times have you thought to yourself you know I'd be a whole lot stronger Christian if God would just show up and reveal himself that he would just say, boom, he pops in your room and goes, just like he did. He just kind of walks through the wall and says, listen, just like I did in the, in the upper room after I was crucified, I, I walked into your room just to prove that I'm still alive. I want to just prove to you I really am. Come here, put your finger, put your hand. Look, it's really me. How many of you right now are in your mind going, you know what, that would be really, really cool. And hey, I'll be, I'm with you, man. I think that would be kind of cool. But do you think that that would make your walk stronger with the Lord? Do you think that you would never have a doubt after that? Do you think that you would not 
mistrust God's leading in your life from that point forward? Do you think that that would be it? And you'd be, you know, Billy Graham version two? Paul? You know, are you, are you, is that what you think? Paul says, look, they saw God all the time. And yet, they were constantly murmuring and complaining. Don't place your faith in sight. Don't place your faith in sight. If I see the Lord, then I'll believe the Lord. Thomas did that, didn't he? And what did Jesus do? He revealed himself to Thomas. And again, I'm so happy that the Lord put something like that in Scripture. Put that story in Scripture. Because to me, the way my brain works, I would ask that question, well, what's so bad about seeing Christ? I mean, what's so bad about it? Why not just show me? Why not just reveal yourself to me in flesh and bone? Because if you did, then I would walk strong with you the rest of my life and I wouldn't have a doubt one, whatever. And so Jesus, he, he reveals himself to Thomas, right? He revealed himself to the ten. Judas is already dead. Thomas, he's nowhere to be found. He's afraid. I don't know. Maybe he's working. I don't know what Thomas is doing. But ten of the disciples are locked in the upper room and Jesus appears to him and he, he speaks with them. Peace. Be still. Be of good cheer. It's just me. And they freaked out on that. But when he left and departed for them, they were so ecstatic. They went and they told Thomas. They said, Thomas, we saw Jesus. He's going, no, you didn't. So we get the word doubting Thomas. Yeah, you didn't. No, we did. All ten of them. Thomas, you've got to believe us. We did. I know you guys. I've been with you and you do this kind of a thing to me. Can you imagine the traumatic experience that is going on in, Paul, in, in Thomas's mind? Why did he have to show himself to all of you ten? Now, mind you, we don't know where Thomas is. Maybe Tom was, Thomas was so afraid. Maybe he was thinking, this is all just a bunch of, just a bunch of bahooey. I don't, I don't know why I just gave three and a half years of my life. And then maybe he repents. Maybe he goes in. Maybe he just had a job that he had to do that day. I don't know. Whatever it is, he's not believing these other ten guys. He doesn't look at their character. He doesn't look at their integrity. He doesn't look at their brotherhood and say, if you all tell me that you saw him, I have to believe you. I'm finding it hard to believe, but I, I, I have to believe because I know you guys and I love you guys. That's not Thomas. Thomas goes, no way. I am not going to believe what you are saying unless I take my finger and stick it into his hand and take my hand and stick it into his side where the sword or that lance went through. I'm not going to believe. I said, okay. I don't know what to say. Thomas. The next time they were all together, Thomas, guess what? He never left the tent after that, I don't think. I think he was stuck with him. He didn't leave them. He was right there. And then when they were in the upper room the next time all together and the door was locked because they were afraid, Jesus, he shows up. You know the story, right? He shows up and there's Thomas blown away at what he sees. He says, Jesus says, Thomas, come here. Take your finger and stick it into my hand and take your hand and put it into my side it's I Thomas doesn't even make it across the room before he goes the Lord of me and the God of me my Lord and my God he cries out to the Lord and calls him exactly for what he is and Jesus said to him Thomas because you see you believe more blessed are those who believe without seeing. You know who he was talking to? You know who he was talking about? Most of us in this room. I don't want to sit here and, and, and just assume that none of you have seen Jesus. But I don't know a lot of people that have seen Jesus. But if that's what you think you need in order to live this Christian life, you're sorely mistaken. You don't have to live that. That's what Paul's saying. Just because you see God 
do a miracle isn't going to guarantee that you're going to walk with him. He said, these guys, the lust was so strong. We're going to get into this next week. The lust was so strong. The world and the temptation of the world was so strong that it drew them back in. And most of them, not many of them, not some of them, it says, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. Most. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there are who go that way. But narrow is the way to life. And very few are that go that way. Guys, let's walk the narrow path. Let's walk through the narrow door. Let's live for Christ. Let's not have to see something. Let's not have to actually have something proven to us in order to do it. I want to finish my race well. I want you to finish your race well. Do you want to finish well? Do you want to finish well? Do you want to be with Jesus? When you see him for the very first time in heaven, do you want to see him standing and saying, well done? my good and my faithful servant? Or, or, or is your life about, I want everything that I can get off this world and if I just skate into heaven, that'll be cool. That's a scary way to live, man. That's a scary way to live. With that mentality, I, I seriously question whether or not the Lord really is the Lord of your life or if he's not just an insurance policy. I want to live like hell on the earth, but I want to gain heaven in the end. I, I question the genuineness of a walk. I question a genuineness of a relationship. If you don't want, anything, don't want to do anything with the Lord today, why would you want to spend an eternity with him then? doesn't make sense Paul goes hey these were for our examples so that we don't have to do and experience what we don't have to experience what they had to experience because you know what it didn't work for most of them I love stories like this to teach us that I don't have to see I don't have to feel I don't have to taste I don't have to real I don't have to actually tangibly hold in my hand in order to believe. And I pray that you don't either. Father, I pray that even as we are in this Olympic season and we are watching these athletes perform to the beyond their their own personal ability. I know that there have been some world records that have fallen. I know that there are many personal bests that have been bettered already even. The crown that they seek out after is perishable. $511.58. The crown that we look for, Lord, the Stephanos crown, is it's invaluable. There's no price that can be placed upon the cost of that, of that crown. And I pray, Lord, that we would live for you. That when we do receive that crown, we can give it right back to you, Lord. We would live our lives, that we would see you, understand that you desire what your desires are for our lives. And that we would not be swayed to and fro by this world and by the tossing doctrines, by the tossing feelings, by the tossing church that is on very, very wayward ground, especially in America today. Help us, Lord, to stay fixed to the firm foundation of your word, of your love, and of your plan, your eternity that you have for us. Lord, help us to live for you. Help us to live for you in spite of what anybody else does. Somebody's got to step up. Why not me? Why not us? Why not every single person in this room or in this hearing? Lord, bless this time, Lord. I, I, I thank you, God, for, for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? 
or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.